Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today is Swim Swam writer, Tori Hart. And joining us today is the Golden Family Director of Men's Swimming, Dan Schimmel, and the Paul A. Violich Director of Women's Swimming, Greg Meehan. Greg and Dan, how are you guys doing today? Peachy. <laughs> We're doing great, Coleman and Tori. Thanks for having us on. two titles that you all have. Uh, would you mind explaining those titles um, and, and why those are your official titles? Yeah, go ahead. Have at it, Dan. John Goldman's a, a huge supporter of Stanford athletics in general, but he's also uh, a huge fan of swimming. Um, and just through his generous support, wanted to give back to, to Stanford athletics and, and endow the position to where, you know, stuff, um, uh, like recent news that's come about of programs being cut that that hopefully would help keep a, a position like mine and a program like ours around. So he's a fantastic guy. Met him a handful of times. We did a, a Zoom with him and some other master swimmers a few weeks ago. Um, so he stays very involved and really knowledgeable of, of what's going on here on campus. And so to say I'm, I'm grateful for his support, uh, be an understatement yeah yeah for sure and, and kind of the same with uh with ours paul vilich is is uh the gentleman who endowed uh, my position and ours is a little more recent than the men's program ours came about uh i want to say circa 2015 uh 2015 2016 um and i met paul uh, a couple of years ago when i was speaking to the um uh, daper uh the, the department of athletics um board and uh, he was he was there and we engaged in conversation and and sort of kind of from there it just really evolved and really appreciate his support of our program uh paul's a a stanford guy through and through he's also an aquatics guy he, he swam and played uh, water polo he was also a, a navy seal um he's done very well for himself uh in his career uh one of his like side businesses is um is one of the co-owners of ramsgate winery up in napa and um, so just kind of a really, uh, really cool life story. Um, but part of why he was so intrigued about endowing my position at the time was um, all three of his daughters played collegiate sports. And uh, none of them went to Stanford, but, you know, felt really uh, passionately about, uh, about Stanford, about women's sports, and about aquatics. And so, like, that just kind of came together in sort of the perfect storm to, um, to make the gift, to endow uh, my position. And, you know, much like uh, Dan touched on, uh, those are sort of keys for, for the long-term sustainability of our, our aquatics programs, our swimming and diving programs. So can you expand a little more then on what it really means for your program to be an endowed program and how that factors into your budgets and into scholarships in particular? Yeah, our, our program isn't endowed uh, fully, but our head coaching positions are endowed and all of our scholarships um, for our programs are endowed. So the, the 14 you know, women's swimming and diving scholarships and the 9.9 .9, uh, on the men's side are, are all uh, endowed. So you know, the, the gifts that have been given 
the interest off of those gifts annually um, is what covers the the scholarships and what covers you know our position from salary to benefits to to medical um, all of those things so it's it's significant and that the cost savings uh, for our athletics department for each of the programs that has a, a coaching position endowed or uh, fully endowed scholarships is a game changer so then you know the the annual budget that um, that our department needs to come up with is really the the day-to-day operating expenses of of travel and recruiting mm-hmm. and uh, equipment and those types of things but a lot of your your uh, departments are, are typically working through much bigger uh, ticket items like scholarships and salaries and so um, we're, we're super fortunate it's a tremendous amount of money that goes into it too um, I was a part of the University of Wisconsin coaching staff a few years ago and we had been talking with a donor about endowing scholarships and it was something in the realm of 500 to 750 thousand dollars to be able to endow just one scholarship so when you think of 14 and 9.9 that's a tremendous amount of money and a lot of work that's gone into getting that kind of support so yeah I feel very fortunate that that's taken care of and that's less of a burden for the athletics department. Can you shed a little light on what your role is as head coaches in in pursuing you know donors or um, you know securing money in other ways and how much of that you know is part of your daily job? Yeah, uh, not as much for us. And this kind of changed um, a little bit before I arrived at Stanford. It, it, uh, coaches used to be much more involved in um, fundraising for their particular programs. Um, and before I got here, I want to say, so I arrived in 2012. I want to say right around 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in that range. Um, they, they centralized all of the fundraising efforts. And so while you can give bigger gifts uh, to a program for a particular item, like a, a scholarship or a coaching position, or um, you know, for us in aquatics, we had that beautiful new scoreboard put up um, about uh, two years ago. You all saw that last summer during nationals. I mean, spectacular. That was uh, Brian Avery, uh, who's been a, a big benefactor for all the aquatics programs. He, he donated that. So you could do some of those big ticket items, uh, but all of the, the general, um, um, fundraising is centralized through the what we call the Buck Cardinal Club, uh, and that goes all into one pot that then gets uh, spread amongst all of the different uh, sport programs. Interesting. And I, I think we are pretty unique and fortunate in that, you know, coming from the University of Hawaii, um, that was a huge part of my position as a head coach was uh, not only like maintaining alumni relations, but fundraising and finding people who are willing to give back at at really any level to help like relieve the burden um, of our expenses on the athletic department. So uh, to not have to necessarily worry about that or that be on the forefront of our mind, it's, it's a blessing. It's just that much more time we can dedicate to coaching our team and um, working with our student athletes. Right. And I think too, even like, one final note on that is um, not being complacent either and like recognizing that, you know, we're still in challenging times. And, and obviously yesterday's news was, was really tough on a, on a personal level for our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors. Uh, Dan and I live here on campus, um, you know, and these are, these are people that uh, we see every day. And so 
you know, we, we're, uh, we're still feeling that part of it, but, um, you know, we, we recognize that it's the reality of, of 2020 and COVID-19 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, we just don't want to get complacent on it. We want to continue to be uh, fiscally responsible, but also, hey, there, there are some things, some goals that we have on, on not just endowing our positions, but, you know, endowing our entire staff, which would be our assistant coaches, uh, our diving coach, you know, and those are things that are going to continue to to kind of push the the legacy of our program forward in a long-term perspective. Do you have any like tips or suggestions for sort of a roadmap for other teams who might be looking to get those positions endowed? Like anything that coaches can do to kind of jumpstart that process? I, I mean, it starts with connecting with your alumni or any benefactors that, that are associated with your athletic department that are super enthusiastic about giving back or, or helping out a specific team. Um, you know, for us in the world of swimming, we're fortunate enough that a lot of people continue swimming after their collegiate careers. So even reaching out to local master swimmers, um, you know, like swimming has a huge reach throughout the world. So I think there are, there are plenty of opportunities where people are willing to give back and help out anybody in need. But I would say, I mean, it would start with conversations within, within your athletic department and then with it within your alumni um, and slowly building from there. Yeah, I think to that end too, it's a, it's a process. It's difficult to fundraise in, in sort of an emergency situation when you don't have relationships built. And so I think to, to really hit home on Dan's point, like having that, um, that consistent long-term messaging with your alums about, um, about the future of the program is, is critical and, and keeping them, um, you know, just engaged. And whether it's a, an alumni Facebook page or you really encourage them to, to follow the social media accounts or you have an alumni event uh, annually, whatever that looks like for each school is totally different. Uh, for us at Stanford, you know, we've, we have an alumni meet every year and we get awesome turnout. Um, and, and like from the young alums to some of our, our older folks that are coming back for their 35th, 40th anniversary of their, their graduation. So um, it's, it's that long-term relationship building that then makes, um, uh, you know, some of the, the, the bigger gifts that you would need at that point, a little more realistic path to that. Right. I think, you know, one of the biggest responses we saw yesterday, you know, to the announcement um, is, you know, everyone was saying, you know, Stanford's general endowment is $27 billion. How are they cutting sports? And our understanding is that that money is not available for athletics. Can either of you sort of share how that can be used and, and why that's not the answer? Yeah. I'm not an econ major. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, nor are we privy to kind of all of those, um, all of the inner works. And we just know that a lot of those are not earmarked for athletics and they're earmarked for very specific, you know, it's kind of like if you, if you're an athletic supporter and you endow a scholarship, like your money has to go towards athletic scholarships. And so a lot of the, the money that is in our endowments is earmarked for research and academics. And that is what we are. We are a research institution. And so um, a lot of that money you can't, you can't even get access to. Uh, and I'd say even within our athletics endowment, it's, it's very similar. And so uh, also the, the purposes, they, they did a really great, I thought, like just a really great FAQ uh, document that they released yesterday. Yeah. Um, uh, public uh, that just kind of outlines 
why these sports were selected and, and address some of those uh, endowment questions. And one of the things I always appreciate about Stanford is even in the tough times, like just super transparent on, on how they kind of got to this process. Um, and so, you know, we're, the, the endowments are set, set up for perpetuity and wanting to, to have uh, this opportunity for students and student athletes for 100, 200, 500 years from now, who knows how long. Um, and, and so, you know, recognizing that we're all part of a much larger sort of system, I, I think is important. Mm -hmm. So, so we see 11 Olympic teams get cut by Stanford yesterday. Um, so Greg, as, as a head Olympic coach, um, you know, do you think, what ripple effect do you see this having on Olympic sports in general? Yeah, I think there's definitely an impact, uh, for sure. You know, I think about, um, uh, my neighbor is the, the wrestling coach and it's like just brutal for him. And I think about, you know, the fact that there aren't many wrestling programs across the country, uh, at the collegiate level and, and the, the potential long-term impact on Team USA wrestling. Um, or I think about, you know, our men's volleyball team getting cut and, you know, in a sport that's maybe, I think has fewer than 40 teams uh, at the NCAA level. Um, you know, when those opportunities start to reduce, you're potentially impacting the number of kids that are getting involved in the sport at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And, and what's then the long-term impact um, on Team USA? And, and I absolutely think about that from a swimming perspective. Um, we are not immune to that. Uh, you know, fortunately, our, our top programs are, are maybe in a little more um, stable footing because uh, so many of the, the uh, universities across the country still sponsor, certainly women's swimming and diving, but even on the men's side, there's still really strong representation and, and hoping that continues to grow. Um, I think about a little bit like with, with COVID-19, just how that may impact uh, kind of long-term Team USA. Just if we go through a stretch where, you know, we're, we're not um, in the water consistently for our 8 to, to 12, 13-year-olds, where like some things need to kind of happen in the sport with their aerobic development and, and just sort of their progression, like what is the impact, you know, 10, 12 years from now on, on this time period, if it really extends long-term, if it's, if it's short-term, we'll be fine. But, you know, those are the things that I, that I think about as, as my role with, uh, with USA Swimming and the Olympics. And um, yeah, it's, it's just really tough times. So I, you know, you hit a lot of points that I wanted to bring up. Um, you talk about the younger generation. Um, you, you know, we, we have seen swim teams getting cut. I think we just announced um, Dartmouth is cutting their men's and women's swimming and diving, um, which, you know, uh, certainly not the first, again, uh, since the COVID-19 shutdown. Um, so, so it seems like, you know, your, your programs are pretty safe. The, the Stanford men and women's swimming and diving is going to be around for a while. Um, is there anything that you guys have been doing and not only at the collegiate level, Greg, I know you're involved with, with Alto Swim Club as well. Um, again, at the younger, younger generation, um, mm -hmm. is there anything you guys are doing to, to make sure that moving forward, you know, again, there, there is still that participation. We are still growing as a sport instead of withering um, via these teams getting cut. Yeah. I mean, in the short term, uh, 
no, I think there's a lot of conversations that are happening. I, I applaud our, our club coaches here because uh, our, our youngest, our 13-year-old James, he's on the Alto team. He still doesn't have access to water um, because, unfortunately, the, the team uses uh, Stanford's pool and a lot of the high school uh, and middle school pools in the area, and those haven't opened to uh, club groups yet. So while we're our athletes are, are back in Avery, um, like our club kids aren't back in yet. So, you know, for, for James, he's been swimming just at a, at a rec swim uh, thing for, you know, 45 minutes, a couple days a week, but, but not um, from a team perspective, but the, the coaches have really worked hard to keep the kids engaged. And whether it's through, you know, watching technique videos to nutrition talks to doing team dry land over Zoom, uh, to just talking about life skills. Well, I mean, I, I applaud them too. Like they just do a really good job of, of um, uh, teaching life skills. And as a parent, I'm so appreciative of the kind of the deeper conversations that, that they're having, uh, you know, even for a 13 year old. So, um, you know, I think they're doing what they can right now and, and, you know, hoping that things get better. So we don't have to have this conversation six months from now on like a little bit more of, okay, we're, we're in a much tougher spot. We've, we've been on deck now with some of our athletes for the past three or four weeks. And one of, the, one of the best parts about just being back on deck was seeing their excitement of being back with their teammates and just having the ability to swim. And I would venture to guess that the majority of the swimming community is kind of in that same mindset. They're just itching to get back to the pool. So you got to hope that everyone is, is ready to jump like, full steam ahead um, and fully commit back to being into the sport. And um, yeah, uh, I, I would think it's going to help uh, just build up the excitement, especially now too, with the Olympics being postponed for a year. Um, yeah. Uh, it, I think more people are just going to be excited to be back on deck and be have the ability to swim. On the college side, you know, for that team, those teams, how are you handling sort of the uncertainty of, of, you know, not knowing when winter sports will be allowed to start and not knowing when your team will be back together, if it'll be on campus and, you know, potentially not having any answers on that for, you know, a month or two. It's a great question. Uh, and to what Greg had brought up earlier, thankfully here at Stanford, they've been very, very transparent throughout this entire process. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the updates that we've gotten are there are no updates. We're still figuring it out. Uh, so that's, that's kind of been our message um, is just to reiterate that we have some of the best and brightest minds here on campus helping us like bring everybody back when it's safe um, and when the time is right. Uh, and just kind of focus on the things outside of their ability to be able to swim, stay connected with one another. Um, if they have the ability to be in the pool, be in the pool. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep their minds at ease and be as optimistic as possible. Patience uh, oh. on their part, right? Like they, they've got to be patient um, until we sort of get full clarity. Um, but, you know, we're, um, we're hopeful. I, I think at this point we're, we're pretty hopeful that our whole team is going to be here uh, fall quarter, winter quarter uh, through our NCAA season. Spring quarter may be a different story, quite frankly, um, but hopefully that's at a time where things have improved, you know, fingers crossed. Um, but 
you know, for right now, we're we're hopeful uh, on just like, hey, it, it's everyone's going to be here um, in. I mean, it's already middle of July, coming up on middle of July, so uh, you know, in, in about six seven weeks. So that's our that's our plan, that's our hope, and I think we've we've talked to um, our athletes just about like, you know, there's only so much that you can control, and so much of this is not within your control and so do what you can every day like make yourself better don't don't stress over things that you know you don't have any control over lose him again <laughs> oh sorry i think i think you i think we you cut out for a second but you're back. oh yeah <clears throat> Um, so the, the quick question, I know at one point Stanford had, had, was playing with the idea of like half the students coming back. Is that accurate? Or, or like, like one quarter at a time Would that, if, if that's still the case, would that affect, you know, your teams at all? Yeah. I mean, Greg had just kind of touched on it. So the university is committed to freshmen and sophomores of the regular student body being back fall quarter, juniors and seniors, winter and spring, and then next summer, freshmen and sophomores being back on campus. And the athletic department is very optimistic and hopeful that all student athletes, regardless of the grade that they're in or year that they're in, um, are going to be on campus for their season. So we're, we're very confident that everyone will be here for the fall and winter quarter. It's where spring comes into play. We're not exactly sure how that's going to play out yet. Gotcha. Uh, so maybe on a lighter note, you know, you guys have been back in the water. How, how have things been uh, finally being able to swim again? Awesome. Yeah, so <laughs> nice. Um, uh, for a lot of reasons, like one, we've been spending a lot of time together. So this is good because now we can kind of separate a little bit and coach <laughs> our workout. But uh, Dan lives like three houses that way. Um, and so actually one of the one of the real positives uh, out of this horrible situation with, with COVID and self-isolation is that we've been kind of self-isolating together uh, with the family and, and gotten to spend a lot of time together, which has been been really nice uh, for, for me, for, for Tess and the boys as well. Um, but being back on the pool deck has just been a game changer. You've been to our facility. It's one of the nicest facilities in the world. Um, even with all the restrictions of social distancing within practice of one per lane, it's like, well, okay, we'll, we'll take these, you know, lanes over here in long course and you guys can go over there and do, do short course. And sometimes we're in the same pool, but, um, it's been really nice. And, uh, we have a small group right now, uh, just because our students went home essentially back in March and um, and because everyone lives on campus here at Stanford uh, they don't have access to campus housing yet um, so for anyone that's that's coming back they've got to kind of figure that piece out for the rest of the summer and so that presents some challenges um, but for you know for a couple of our pros and for some of our college kids um, you know having a group of like four five six seven people has been really fun you kind of like get out of that sort of really small one person, two person environment into having a little bit bigger group has been just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I'd say the guys that we've had, um, it's maybe the happiest I've, I've seen them on deck. And I've only been here for a year, but um, I think just their gratitude for the ability to be with their teammates again and to be able to swim um, has shown through it. And 
to what Greg said. I mean, when you walk on deck to our facility every day, it's hard not to just have a big old smile on your face like that place is amazing and when it's 85 degrees out and not a cloud in the sky there's no better place to be <laughs> so yeah it's 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 been a blessing and we'll have we have people starting to trickle in kind of as we get closer to the fall quarter um but yeah it's it's been awesome greg i'm, I'm curious for you in particular if you can share anything about how this has been for um, katie and simone who presumably are living much more kind of grounded local lifestyles than they've been used to in the past couple of years and what it's been like for them to um you know train and keep up all of their various obligations throughout this yeah you know i don't want to speak for them but but certainly from my perspective it's been hard um you know especially knowing how close u.s olympic trials were uh when they got canceled and you know you could kind of just like you're so close to the end of a quad they're not really thinking just in terms of years but you know, for this quad, they've been working towards this this point in this particular summer. Um, right now, we the whole U.S. Olympic team would actually be here at Stanford uh, for our domestic training camp. Uh, actually, some people I think today we're going to leave for Singapore. So, like, so much has changed. Um, and I think the hardest part for them was just the the timing of it. And like, they were they were towards the end, and now to to reboot and reset and look at a, a, a window now that's another, you know, at the time was another like 15 months presented some challenges, but we were really fortunate uh, to have some uh, access to water in a backyard pool with, with the two of them. And we spent a lot of time together, uh, you know, with a, a group of three with uh, those two and myself and, um, and now being back at Avery has been a game changer, but I think they've managed incredibly well. Like I just, I put myself in their shoes and all the, the challenges um, that they uh, were going to face anyway. And now to kind of have this all sort of get flipped on its head and um, just the, you know, the, the external pressure and expectations, their, their own internal uh, expectations, working with sponsors, all of this stuff is complicated. And um, they really relied on each other a lot. And it was, um, I, I think over the last couple of years, their friendship has grown and, and really over the last four or five months, um, it's been fun to see them be so supportive of each other because they know what they're going through. They know exactly what each other is going through. And so now that we're kind of back in Avery and feel like there's a, a, a map of, you know, a roadway to next summer, he's helping alleviate some of that stress and pressure and they can go back to what they love to do, which is, go to work. I mean, I've never met two people that love to train so hard in my life. Um, and, and so they're back in their element now and really like engaging in that. And that's been fun for them and, and certainly fun for, for Tracy and I as well. Great. As a bit of an outsider or just someone who's been able to observe, uh, I mean, I had a tremendous amount of respect for the two of them and, and Greg going, you know, even leading into the pandemic, but coming out of it, um, their commitment and resilience is absolutely remarkable. But uh, I, for the amount of uncertainty that those two in particular were going through and everything that had built up to what this summer was supposed to be, for them to come out and be where they are now, uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, I, I have the utmost respect for them and, and what, they're, what they're trying to represent and, and accomplish, it's, it's amazing. So, so training-wise, now that you are back at Avery, um, <clears throat> for all, I'm guessing your athletes might, you know, everyone kind of might be on a different page. Um, 
what 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 does training look like in terms of like <laughs> are you really just going back to normal sets or you know w- what's the focus uh what have you guys seen so far where do you, where do you think you might be able to move forward you know the next couple weeks that that's been an interesting part of it i mean he obviously with katie and simone they they've been in the water the whole time we've had a few guys who are back on campus who have been able to train this whole time and then we had others who just started up for the first time three weeks ago mm-hmm. um so we're taking a very light-hearted approach to it you know not even knowing really what the college season is going to look like quite yet there's no real rush to get into uh, like normal training. Um, I would say it's been pretty general, again, lighthearted, fun, um, trying to keep everybody on the same page. <laughs> well, it's kind of hard to do that at times, but. Uh, For sure. Yeah. I mean, you have people that literally went three, three full months without touching the water uh, just because they didn't have access. And then you have some that, you know, kind of dabbled and, and then others that were, were going uh, full. And so we're, we're sort of in this little bit of a nebulous place and, and also recognizing that we have some that like can go all in both physically and from a coaching perspective, we're allowed to do that. And then you've got some that are, you know, falling under the voluntary umbrella and, and, and like how to help build them back up into, uh, you know, a good place that, you know, once restrictions ease and kind of get going full time. So yeah, it, it's been a, it's been tricky, but it's like these are awesome problems to have to work through and yeah. to solve. Cause like this is what we, this is why we get out of bed every day is to is to get over there and work with these young people. Uh, so I was talking to Tyler Fenwick yesterday, uh, associate head coach at Virginia, and he was saying you know, we were talking about the idea. Um, I think at the time the Ivy League had had kind of. Uh, pulled out in some form and we were talking about the idea of if if last if this coming NCAA season was similar to last year where um, you know you're pretty much limited to conference competition um, where you know this past season we saw all the conference championships happen and then NCAAs were canceled Um, you know just kind of throwing it out there what what would you guys make if if that was the case and we were limited to conference competition this year do you think that because you know in in a regular season a conference championship is a very different feel from an NCAAs for and it depending on the team that could be the pinnacle of the season or that could be you know barely more than the dual meet um so what would you guys you know how would that kind of (laughs) reverse what little of a plan you might have now um, if, if, if it did end up being kind of conference only uh, this coming season. From a dual meet perspective, like our two programs really only race Pac-12 schools. So I don't know if that would change a whole lot, but obviously the focus at, like, for the end of the meet with that being Pac-12, so that would I would change things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, for, like, you know, we've been fortunate. I, I, I love being a part of the Pac-12. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I've been in the Pac-12 conference for a long time between four years at UCLA, four years sober in Berkeley, and, and now eight years at Stanford. Like, I uh, am very appreciative of how the Pac-12 has approached its championships. 
um, you know, it's a, it's a big enough deal, but there's always that next thing where you can emotionally go to that next level uh, for the NCAA championships. And so if that gets taken away um, and we know that Pac-12 is the last meet that we're going to have uh, collegially, we're going to gear up for that, you know, like wh whatever it is, we've always sort of uh, prioritized the last meet. And if the last meet is typically NCAA, so that's going to be our priority. And, and, and you've seen our Pac-12 results over the years. Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're not good. But generally, by the time NCAA rolls around, we're, we're firing on all cylinders. So if that's, um, if that's not an event this year and, you know, the Pac-12 championships, the last thing we have, one, we're going to be grateful because at least that means we're, we're racing in, in February. Uh, and, and two, we'll just work backwards from there to, to let it, let the emotional momentum build to be as good as we can be uh, in that realm. And, uh, you know, fortunate to be part of a, a great conference where there's really good competition. All right. Uh, we're down to about five minutes. Um, is there, you guys have any closing thoughts? Um, we've covered swimming possibilities. We've covered uh, financial possibilities. Um, any, any closing thoughts you guys have? Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't know if I can accurately express my gratitude, um, to be here affiliated with this athletic department, even in spite of, um, you know, the news that got delivered yesterday, uh, with those programs being dropped, you know, super heartbreaking, but, um, at the end of the day, the department did that for the benefit of our programs. Uh, this is a, a winning athletic department and they want to support each team here to um, the capability that they can win a national championship. And so to, to have that leadership and that perspective, um, uh, I, I'm super grateful for. Uh, and so uh, I think this was just, just a reminder to be that much more appreciative uh, for the opportunity that we do have within the sport of swimming. Um, and in particular, being here at this, at this university, uh, yeah, it's been super humbling and um, just looking forward to whatever this upcoming year might be. It doesn't matter. Just as long as we're back on deck and have everybody together, I think that's what's most important. Yeah, perfectly said. Uh, I think the last part that you finished with, too, the connection piece, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a feeling of disconnect amongst uh, us and our, our athletes. Like, we love these kids. We spend so much time with them. Um, and it's hard not seeing them every day. And it's hard not kind of feeling together as a group. And so, you know, if nothing else, that's what I'm most looking forward to uh, in the fall is just having the, the group back together to, to feel that sense of connection, to feel that uh, sense of like, hey, we're, we're all in this together. And and they've done a good job of managing uh, as best they can through really challenging times. I mean, you think about what these kids have gone through, uh, you know, at a, at a time in their life where it's supposed to be uh, very different than what they are going through. Um, I'm really proud of how they've handled themselves, but I really look forward to just getting everybody back together to have that sense of connection because uh, we're all better because of it. Well, Greg, Dan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you guys coming on and, and sharing your wisdoms with us. And hopefully we'll see you on a pool deck in the near future. Hopefully. Thanks, Tori. Thanks, Coleman. Coleman, yeah. how are you doing without traveling? This is like <laughs> new territory for you. Yeah, no, I'm going nuts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really got my fingers crossed like everyone else that, uh, that swim meets resume as soon as possible. Word. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.